Uh, today's sermon is called The Identity of the Eunuch. Now, I know that when we read this passage, many of you had the same question, and it was, uh, why are we talking about a eunuch on Christmas Sunday, right? Now, when I think about Christmas Sunday, I was thinking about um, what to speak on for this week. Uh, I had thought about some different passages, and I had thought about different things that we could draw upon, but one thing that kept coming to my mind as I thought about the Christmas story, as I thought about kind of um, who we are as Christians, as followers of God, is, is that what, what is our identity? Who are we supposed to be? And that was something that was constantly on my mind. And as I was reading the book of Acts, kind of preparing our series in general, I came upon this passage, and I thought it was just something that we needed to hear as a church. Um, Because, you know, on the outset, it, it looks like a regular story. It looks like a regular conversion story. But I think the deeper you dive into this, the more layers you peel back, the more you realize it's hitting on something really crucial. And it's hitting on a really important issue. You know, for me, one of my favorite movies is uh, Inception, right? Christopher Nolan, Leo DiCaprio, great, great movie. One of the reasons I love it so much is because I never thought of dreams or any of these things as having multiple layers. But what he was stressing, Christopher Nolan, was that every time you go down a deeper layer, what you're trying to do is find like the ultimate issue. And when you go to the very end of the movie, this spoilers, but you should have seen it by now, is by the end of the movie, at the very last layer, is the ultimate core issue, which is the relationship between the father and the son, right? Now, in the same way, what we're going to see is that in this story, there's multiple layers. On the outside, it just looks like a story of, of Philip and this eunuch of a conversion story. And yet, the more you go into it, the more you realize that there are so many different parts and that the ultimate issue, that the ultimate layer that we're trying to discover is the issue of identity. Because this eunuch here, he didn't know where he belonged to. He didn't know who he was. And finally, it was only through the knowledge of the gospel, through God hitting him, that he understood that he belonged to the family of God. And so today, what I want to do is just go through the story little by little. And I want to explore these different layers together. And then I want to finally end with the ultimate issue of identity. Okay? Now, let's read verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, what we know is that Philip was one of the main deacons of the early church. And we also know that, this, that the church was in the major city, that a lot of things were happening, that people were coming from all over, that all of these people were being saved at the same time, and he was needed there, it seemed like. However, all of a sudden, an angel appears to Philip and says, go down the road toward Gaza. What we know about this road is that it would have been very long. It would have been dangerous and that it would have been very desert-like. In other words, there wouldn't have been many people there. If we think about this in our terms, it does not make sense. The early church was booming. People were coming in. There was a need there for deacons. Philip was needed there. And yet, why 
would an angel come down to him and tell him to go all the way to a different place where there's barely any people? Well, we know why. It was to save the soul of this Ethiopian man. See, church, this is the main point here of this passage, of this part here, is that true salvation, it begins and ends with the work of the Holy Spirit. It is God who prepares the heart, and it is God who allows people to hear. It is God who converts the soul, no one and nothing else. If you are new here, if you are listening to this sermon, maybe for the first time, if you barely know me, I can give you the, mo- the most rousing sermon in the world. I can give you something that's a tearjerker that will make you hope, stand up and, and, cl- and clap your hands and, and maybe one day, you know, you can think about it and tell your grandchildren. That's awesome. But if there's no Holy Spirit within that, if we're not based upon the Holy Spirit, then there's no point to it. It's not going to change your life. You will not be saved, and you will not go to heaven. But in the same way, even if I fumble through this sermon, even if I stutter and I make a fool of myself and I am almost incomprehensible, however, if God was preparing your heart for this day, then nothing is going to stop the Holy Spirit from saving you. Church, salvation is not our work, it is God's work. The Bible is so clear about this. It says that people do not naturally seek after God. Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that we are alienated from God. Because of our sin, church, we are indifferent and disinterested in the gospel. But somehow, miraculously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to feel a stirring of our hearts, and we see that God is the truth. And when you think of it that way, how miraculous and how awesome is a church? That we are a group of believers who have been touched by the Holy Spirit to know and believe him. That for us, naturally, we are disinclined from God, that naturally we are more drawn towards the world and everything it has, and yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been touched by him, we know that there is a higher truth, and we come to church to praise and glorify him. Amen. How awesome is that? You know, John 6, Jesus says, look, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. And then the Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To every other person, if they are not touched by the Holy Spirit, if God does not open their eyes, this message, this gospel is foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives can and will be changed. Church, is this something that you believe? Is this something that you hold dear to yourselves? Because if it is, then, man, prayer is so important. Prayer, it moves the heart of God, and the Bible is so clear that we should keep on knocking, that we should keep on praying to the Lord that he would do the work in our friends and in our family. 
that if we pray, we're giving God the responsibility. And yet when we don't, we are saying, God, I'm going to do everything on my own. You know, we've been having prayer meetings uh, every Friday for this past year. And, you know, it's been so good because we've been able to pray for so many aspects of the church and and for all of our lives and and all of those things. But it's also been a wake-up call, I think, to our church. Because for us, we are a congregation of, of over 100 people. For our membership, we have over 45 members who call this place their home. And yet, every week, we have about four to six people come out to our prayer meetings to pray. And as I was praying over this, I was thinking about this, that's been on my heart. Because, look, people's lives are only going to change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I realized that for us, man, if we need to make a stance on something, it has to be on prayer. I don't want to rely on anything else. I don't want our church to be known as a church independent from God. I don't want our church to move in a certain direction and be powerful and yet leave God on the wayside. I want God or I want nothing at all. And I want us to be so dependent upon him moving forward. And I know that's going to happen through prayer. And I want to encourage you. I'm not here to condemn or make you feel guilty. I'm here to encourage and to just extol you. Look, prayer is the most important thing that we can do together. I know that for myself, as we've been doing this prayer meeting every week, as I preach to you, as I counsel to others, I've been so at peace. I've been so at peace knowing that there's a group of brothers and sisters that their sole goal once a week is to be praying for this church, is to be praying for the sermon, is to be praying for these words that are coming out of my mouth right now, is to be praying for the hearts of the people sitting where you are sitting right now. I've been at peace because we've been praying that it wouldn't be my words that affect your lives, but that God would be the one that would change the hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It reminds me of a famous Scottish missionary who lived in China. His name was William Burns. He was this extraordinary man of God, and he was used so powerfully by the Lord to change so many lives in China. After his death, you know how he was described? It says, William Burns was a walking prayer. That was his description. William Burns was a walking prayer. In everything he did, he prayed. In everything he did, he relied upon the Lord. And that's what I desire for you. That's what I desire for me. That's what I desire for this church as we move forward. That when we spread the gospel, it's not going to be up to you or me. That when people change, when their lives are transformed, when something happens within them, it's not going to be because of your work or because of my work. It's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be because of our reliance upon the Lord. And it's going to be because we prayed and we gave God the responsibility for it. So we can be at peace, knowing that, man, even if we fumble, even if we mess up, even if we say the wrong words, even if our own past emotions, whatever, come into it, man, it's not going to matter. The power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than that. 
and he is the one that's going to change lives. Let's read verse 30 together. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? You see, Philip, he knows that he has to talk to this eunuch. He heard this voice. He heard this angel. He realized that it's from God. He knew that it was against what maybe it made sense in the world, and yet he still followed through. And so it says that he runs over and begins to ask questions. I think the Bible is so funny in this way. I, I don't think that it necessarily had to put in that he ran over. And I don't know why he ran over in the first place, but I think one of the reasons why it shows that Philip ran over is to show that he was passionate about God. He was passionate enough to run over alongside that chariot, and he was passionate enough to immediately start asking questions. See, you see, church, here's the point. Being passionate about God is vital to spreading the gospel. Being passionate about God is vital to telling somebody else about your experiences with God. Being passionate about Jesus is vital to knowing and understanding the gospel and being able to share that clearly with somebody else. You won't share about Jesus unless you know, love, and worship Jesus. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I think that we, we get this to a certain extent. Because for us, we're going to naturally talk about things that we're passionate about, right? I know that, you know, I can talk to Uni about medicine, and she'll tell me the whole rundown on, on whatever they're working on right now. I know that I can talk to Christine or Lindsay about, you know, their school and their, and their school kids, and, and they can tell me their names and, and their likes and their dislikes and, and all of these different things. I know that, you know, for most guys, you know, I just kind of stand there awkwardly with them. Guys, guys can't really talk to each other that well. But I know one thing, for a lot of our guys, we'll get their gears you know, going, and it's talking about football, right? The minute I mention football, their eyes light up, and they can talk for hours. For me, I'm not that big into football. You know, I like it. I, I enjoy the costumes, and I enjoy the logo designs. You know, this is really nice. But, yeah, I know it's uniform, but, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not like too, too big into it, right? But it's, it's fun to be able to talk to other people about what they're passionate about. Church, do you see how you will only speak about Jesus if you're passionate about Jesus? Because if you're not passionate about him, then it's going to be like pulling out teeth, that we're going to have to spend there, we spend hours together awkwardly stressing about it because you and I don't know what to talk about because maybe someone's not passionate about Jesus Christ. And yet when you're passionate about him, when you know him, when you experience him, then it's not going to be hard to talk about him to other people. When you have worshipped him before, when you've served him before, when you've loved him, then all you have to really do is tell about your experiences with him. That's honestly what the gospel is. It's what did you experience about him? And what did he do in your life? And what is the work that he's already done? You know, Robert McShane, who's a famous pastor, he once said, it is impossible to speak with power from mere head knowledge. 
or even from past experience. We cannot speak of the hidden manna unless we have the taste of it in our mouth. We cannot speak of living water unless it springs from within us. Church, in order to spread the gospel, you have to know and love the Lord. And so what we see is that Philip, he runs up to this eunuch and asks him if he understands what he's reading. And the eunuch replies in verse 31 to 34, if you can follow along, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? You see, what we find out that when Philip approaches this eunuch is that this eunuch is already studying the word of God. He's this foreigner, this Ethiopian from somewhere far away. And yet, strangely, he is reading scripture. The question becomes, why is this Ethiopian eunuch official reading the word of God. And church, the answer is simple. It's because he found something in the gospel that he couldn't find in life. Look, a eunuch is someone who's been right, castrated. It's, in other words, a man who's been physically uh, altered. And the reason that there were eunuchs back then was because they made the best government employees. You know, once you become castrated, what happens, what they believe was that you got rid of all of your uh, hormonal desires. That once you were castrated as a boy, then you wouldn't ever have any desires for the opposite sex, and, and so therefore you would be able to concentrate solely upon your work. There wouldn't be distractions for these men. I mean, think about it. For a lot of guys, I know that there's so many guys here who are so singularly focused, who, can, who are so driven and motivated and can accomplish so much. But I know that the minute Miss Boom Boom walks in from the side door, everything just disappears, right? And we just kind of focus on that. And we, don't, we can't think of anything else. In the same way, what they were trying to do back then was get rid of any type of distraction. And they believed by castrating somebody, castrating a man, that the repercussions were fine, that they would have to deal with it on their own because the most important thing was their allegiance to the empire and to the government. You see, this means that this eunuch, he was an important government official, but it also meant that he had no identity of his own. Everything that was supposed to define him was gone. He was no longer a man in the traditional sense. He didn't have a family to go home to anymore because that's one of the reasons why they castrated to make sure that they wouldn't be able to have their own families. And he was an outcast in the temple of God. You see, a certain part of the temple was reserved only for the Jews. And what we know is that this Ethiopian man was a Gentile, so he couldn't enter that specific part. However, in the law of Moses, 
It also tells us that eunuchs were unclean and that they couldn't enter the assembly of God. And so this man, this person, from such an early age, he never belonged anywhere. For so long, he was wandering aimlessly, not knowing who he was or where his name was. And so for him, anywhere he tried to go, anywhere he tried to fit in, he would get pushed out again and again and again. This eunuch, he didn't belong to any family. He didn't belong to his own gender. And he didn't belong in the temple. Think of how lonely he must have been. Think of how confused and how lost he must have been. But it says here that he picks up a scroll and he begins to read the word of God. And specifically, he's reading Isaiah 53. But what's interesting, church, is that if he was reading Isaiah 53, then he would have also had to have read Isaiah 56. And in this passage, what's so cool is that God specifically speaks to the eunuchs. Let me read to you verse 4 and 5 of 56. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This eunuch was an outcast from society, and he didn't belong in any place. And on top of that, he reads Isaiah 53 that says a man will will die for the injustices of this world. And because of this one man, that you, that this eunuch will finally belong. That you will be given a name greater than any other name. And that he will belong to a family that's not of this world, but a family that belongs to the Lord. And so maybe for the first time, this eunuch feels something. Feels something like belonging. Feels like he belongs somewhere where he's never felt that before. And so he's reading and he's wondering, who is this God that would call me by name? That would talk to me personally? That would say that I have a name above every other name? Who is this God? And as he's reading, all of a sudden, Philip comes in. And he runs alongside this chariot. And he says, do you have any questions about what you're reading? I can tell you what it is. How powerful is the Holy Spirit? How wonderful is God that he has planned this from the very beginning? That Philip, who was, who was busy at the early church, who was busy in the city, God took him away from that, brought him down to the road to Gaza, and said, I need you to speak to that man because I've been preparing his heart for you to speak to him. And so what Philip does is he talks about the gospel. And he says that man who died for the injustices of the world was a man named Jesus Christ. And he came to this world. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death for you. And he rose again on the third day. Because this man, he was not only a man, he was God. And he died for our sins. And he defeated sin and death. So that now you, my brother, can have everlasting life in heaven. 
And now you, my brother, can finally have a home and finally belong. Church, when we look at this passage, I believe that many of us can see ourselves as both Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. We are Philip in that God, man, he is calling you to invest in that one person. The kingdom of God grows by one soul at a time. And he is calling you to invest in that person who is next to you, that family member who is with you, that co-worker who is in front of you. He is calling you to invest in that one person. And he's calling you to pray for them. Because your actions and your words are not going to be the ones that save him. It is only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray that you will be his vessel. Pray that God will work through you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the right words and the right timing to speak. But rely upon God and not your own work. Will you speak passionately about Jesus Christ? And are you willing to pray? We are also the Ethiopian eunuch in that God wants you to know that even if you don't belong out there, you belong here. God wants you to know that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he is not an apathetic or distant God that does not care about the troubles that you have gone through or the mistakes that you have made or lets you wallow in your sickness and in your pain without care in the world. What God wants you to know is that he knows your name personally, that he speaks for you, that he loves you, that he is praying for you, And what he's saying to you is this, I will give you a name better than any name that you can possibly imagine here. Church, my hope for you today is that we would seek to save the lost and to find our ultimate identity in Christ. If we have those two things, then man, I believe that God is just going to do amazing things in our lives, in the lives of this, of this place, in this church, in this community, in this city, in this place. Amen? Let's pray.